So we're continuing in this quest to make sense of church. That's our series. Estamos intentando comprender qué es la iglesia. And to help us this morning, we want to focus on a scripture from Paul's first letter to the Corinthian Christians, 1 Corinthians, and we'll look at the first chapter, verses 10 through 13. Primera de Corintios, capítulo 1, versículos 10 al 13. It's a short reading, but important. And so I'd like to read this for us first in English, then I'll read it in Spanish. Comienzo leyendo en inglés y después voy a leer en español. And what we have here again are words from the pen of the early church leader Paul. Son palabras escritas por Pablo, but they're also inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so this is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Son inspirados el Espíritu Santo y son la palabra de Dios para nosotros hoy. So let's listen and take it to heart. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Les suplico, hermanos, en el nombre de nuestro Señor Jesucristo, que todos vivan en armonía y que no haya divisiones entre ustedes, sino que se mantengan unidos en un mismo pensar y en un mismo propósito. Digo esto, hermanos míos, porque algunos de la familia de Chloe me han informado que hay rivalidades entre ustedes. Me refiero a que unos dicen, yo sigo a Pablo, otros afirman, yo a Apolos, otros yo a Cefas y otros yo a Cristo. ¿Cómo? ¿Está dividido Cristo? ¿Acaso Pablo fue crucificado por ustedes o es que fueron bautizados en el nombre de Pablo? So I'm going to do something unusual to start off this morning. I want to invite you to look at your phones. I invite you, if you have a calculator app on your phone, to pull that out. I have a simple math problem I'd like to give you. Quisiera darles un problema de matemáticas. So go ahead. Pastor's giving you permission to look at your phone. And uh, here's the simple math problem. Are you ready? It's one divided by zero. Uno dividido por cero. Simple, right? So what do you got there? I'm guessing... Here's what I'm guessing. You've got one of two possible answers. Hay dos respuestas. First of all, if you're like me, it says error. Error. Any of you get that? Error message? Error. Why does it say error? Well, because traditional mathematics tells you it is impossible to divide by zero. Es imposible dividir por cero. You can't do it. It does not compute. Okay, no way. Que va, no se puede hacer. Now, there's another answer I said that was possible. Some of you might have gotten this thing that looked like a sideways eight with a squiggly on top. 
a lo mejor tienen un 8 con, con un tilde así. Anybody get that? Not a lot of calculators have it, so I'm not surprised, but this is also a possible answer. That is the symbol for what is called unsigned infinity. Es el símbolo del infinito sin signo. What is that? Well, basically, non-traditional math says that it is impossible to divide by zero except at the place where negative infinity and positive infinity meet. It's this place called unsigned infinity. Es posible dividir por cero donde está el infinito negativo y el infinito positivo. What in the world are you talking about? Well, let me put it this way. Zero is not a positive number or a negative number, is it? Cero no es un número ni positivo ni negativo. It's the place where negative and positive numbers begin. Donde los números negativos y positivos comienzan, ¿verdad? Well, unsigned infinity is not a negative or a positive number, but it's supposedly the place in infinity where negative and positive numbers come back together again. Es un lugar donde los números negativos y positivos se tocan otra vez. So it is supposedly possible to divide by zero. Es posible dividir por cero. Now, you're asking, Pastor Russ, why are you giving us this math lesson? This is way above your pay grade. Okay, you're not a mathematician. I confess, I'm not. No soy matemático. But I do have a point. And, and the point is this. Sometimes what seems impossible in our realm, in our finite, limited world, is actually possible in the infinite. Lo que es imposible en lo finito es posible en el infinito. It's like this picture of the parallel lines. Again, it's geometry, right? Parallel lines in our world never meet. That's why they're parallel. Las líneas paralelas nunca se tocan. But non-traditional geometry would say parallel lines do meet. You see it in the picture. They're, all, they're about to meet. Where? Infinity. Se tocan las líneas paralelas en el infinito. The point is this. What is impossible here can be sometimes possible in the infinite and the unlimited. And when you start talking about the unlimited, when you start talking about the infinite, it's not very long before you start talking about God. Cuando hablas del infinito vas a hablar de Dios. Jesus in Luke 18.27 said something very important. Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Lo que es imposible con el hombre, dijo Jesús, es posible con Dios. What was he referring to? He was referring to the fact that it is impossible for us as selfish, self-centered, limited sinners to rescue ourselves from sin, to, to deliver ourselves and to be reconciled with God. Es imposible que un pecador limitado se pueda reconciliar con Dios y ser rescatado del pecado. We can't do it. We cannot pay the infinite price of our sin. Because we are sinners ourselves. No podemos pagar el precio infinito de nuestro pecado. Salvation is not possible with man. But salvation is possible with God. 
Salvation, if you want to put it into a formula, is possible where the negative infinity of our sin meets the positive infinity of the justice and mercy of God. Donde el pecado infinito negativo se toca con la justicia infinita de Dios, ahí se paga. Well, where does that happen? Where in this world can the negative infinity of our sin meet the justice of God? There's one place it can happen. It's at this place called the cross. Está en la cruz. That's where God does the impossible. And he deals with our sin in the person of Jesus, who is God and who is human at the same time. Dios trata con nuestro pecado en Jesús. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Jesus is the place where the impossible happens. Jesús es donde lo imposible ocurre. That's where a holy God and unholy people can actually be brought together and reconciled in unity. They can come together. Un Dios santo y un pueblo no santo se puede reconciliar. But Jesus, the Bible would tell us, is also the place where something else impossible can happen. Hay otra cosa imposible que puede ocurrir con Jesús. Jesus is where unholy people of all kinds, with different backgrounds and, and different opinions and, and, and different ideas and preferences, can actually come together and be one, where they can actually agree. In Jesus, the impossible among us can happen. En Jesús, personas de diversas opiniones y preferencias pueden unirse. Where does that happen? Where can people who are so different be one and be united? It can happen in this thing called the church. So ocurre en la iglesia. And here in our scripture today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul lays out the picture, the vision, the goal. Pablo nos da la visión. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there would be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Les suplico, hermanos, en el nombre de nuestro Señor Jesucristo, que todos vivan en armonía, que no haya divisiones entre ustedes, sino que se mantengan unidos en un mismo pensar y propósito. Now that's quite a statement, especially in light of who Paul's writing to. Who is Paul writing to here? He's writing to the Christians in Corinth. Está hablando a los Corintios. This is a city in Greece, ancient Greece. And this group of people in the church of Corinth was about as diverse as you could get. Era un grupo muy diverso. There were rich people and poor people. Había ricos y pobres. There were literal slaves and those who were free. Había esclavos y libres. There were Jewish people, non-Jewish people. Había judíos y no judíos. There, there were educated, non-educated. People from religious backgrounds, no religious backgrounds. Religiosos y no religiosos. People who had a strict moral upbringing and people who came from complete immorality. All of that in this mixed bag of people coming together in the church of Corinth. And Paul says, I am expecting all of you to come together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and to agree, to be united, 
to be one. Yo espero que en el Señor puedan unirse y ser uno en Cristo. But that wasn't exactly happening at Corinth. Eso no pasaba. Surprise, surprise. When you get people together and you try to get them to agree on stuff, that's a really hard thing to do. In verse 11, Paul says, I've been informed from some from Chloe's household that there are quarrels among you. Me han informado que hay rivalidades entre ustedes. And so he says, here's the problem. You're dividing up into different camps. There were in the Corinthian church a number of camps. There was the Paul camp. Había campamento de Pablo. This was the group of people who said, I follow Paul. Yo sigo a Pablo. They followed Paul. Who knows why? Perhaps because they really liked Paul's passionate, in-your-face style of preaching. That really spoke to them. Les gustaba la forma apasionada en que hablaba Pablo. There were others who said, no, 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 no. I'm from the Apollos camp. Yo soy de Apollos, decían otros. Who was Apollos? Well, we know from Scripture that Apollos was a leader who was very smart, intellectual, very uh, logical. Apollos era un hombre muy lógico. And perhaps these people preferred Apollos' logical, reasoned, intellectual approach to talking about the gospel. A lo mejor preferían su lógica, su razonamiento. And then there were others who said, no, 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 I'm from the Cephas camp. Yo soy del campamento de Cephas. Who is Cephas? We all know Cephas. You should know Cephas. His name is Peter. Cephas is his Hebrew name, his really strong Jewish name, eran de Cephas, el nombre judío para Pedro. And they were going to call him Cephas, not Peter. None of this Greek stuff. No way. We're going to call him Cephas. Because what they wanted was an understanding of Jesus that was from a Jewish perspective. And that's what they preferred. Querían una perspectiva de Jesús que era judía. And then there were those who said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You guys, I follow Christ. Yo sigo a Cristo, decían algunos. Now, They had the right answer, but they had the wrong attitude. Evidently, in saying, I follow Christ, they were basically saying, I'm better than you guys. I got the right answer. You don't. And so they felt superior to the rest. Se sentían superiores a los demás. Tenían la respuesta correcta, pero la actitud incorrecta. And so the result of all of this was that this very diverse group of people was doing what is natural to do. You get a bunch of people together and it's natural. You're going to have people splitting up into different groups, into different ideas, different camps. They were doing what is traditionally going to happen when you get people together. They were dividing according to opinions and preferences and culture and heritage and politics and power and pride. Se estaban dividiendo según muchas cosas, opiniones, preferencias, política, poder y hasta el orgullo. Now Paul, with just a few words, cuts through all of that. And he zeroes in on the issue in the beginning of verse 13. Pablo aquí eh, se enfoca en el verdadero asunto. He asks a very simple question. Is Christ divided? Está dividido Cristo. 
Is Christ divided? Is it possible to divide Jesus? Is it possible to cut Jesus up into little pieces? Es posible despedazar a Jesús? And the answer that's implied there is no. No. No se puede. Christ is divided by zero. Christ is divided by nothing. No se puede dividir a Cristo por nada. It is impossible to divide Jesus by anything. Christ cannot be divided. No se puede dividir a Cristo. But here's the problem. His followers can be divided. Christ cannot be divided, but we can. Cristo no puede ser dividido, pero nosotros sí. How can we be divided? Well, we can be divided at any point that we allow something less than Jesus to come between us. Podemos ser divididos cuando algo menos que Jesús nos separe. You see, to grow in, in unity means that we are to seek to be united and we seek to be united, first of all, by nothing else but Jesus. Hay que buscar ser unidos en nada más menos Jesús. True unity comes when people together seek to be united by Jesus only. Disunity is going to come when we allow something less than Jesus to become the factor that determines our unity. Vamos a ser divididos cuando algo menos que Jesús determina lo que nos une. When that becomes the glue that we hope will hold us together. Maybe it's the fact that we all speak the same language or have the same point of view or, or vote in the same way or have the same education or we look alike or we talk alike. We're going to allow that to become the unifying factor. And if we allow that to become the unifying factor, we are going to be divided at some point along the line. That's not strong enough to hold us together as Christians. Algo menos que Jesús no nos puede unir como cristianos. It's not going to work. And so you see, we need something more than just natural things to hold us together. We need the supernatural. And Christ is that one. Paul says, I appeal to you in the name of Jesus Christ to be united, to think the same. We're only going to think the same if we're in Christ. Solo vamos a pensar lo mismo si estamos en Cristo. Now, over the centuries, as I said before, Christians have been divided over many different things and in many different ways. I mean, if you want to study the history of the church, you're going to study the history of division. Si vas a estudiar la historia de la iglesia, vas a ver mucha división. You're going to find out that Christians have been divided about very small things over the centuries. Just like what was happening in Corinth. They've been divided over small things. Uh, as small as, well, you know, whether to have music with the organ or music with the guitar or whether you have drums on the stage or whether you have red carpet or blue carpet or brown carpet or no carpet. Christians have divided over things like that. Who should be in charge? Who should not be in charge? Los cristianos nos hemos dividido por muchas cosas. Música por órgano, por guitarra, por alfombra. Muchas cosas. 
But I think it's also important to note that Christians have been divided over the centuries over big things. Big things. Like doctrine. Hemos sido divididos por la doctrina. Maybe you've heard a statement that says doctrine divides. La doctrina divide. Es un lema. What does that mean? Well, it means that sometimes debates about doctrine are very important debates. Because if we get our doctrine wrong, if we do not have our doctrine uh, according to the word of God, if we do not understand the truth of God's word, then we are not going to be making sense of being with Jesus. Si no tenemos nuestra doctrina, vamos a esquivarnos. It's like having a map of Russia and trying to navigate the United States. It's not going to work very well. Es como tener un mapa de la Rusia para navegar Estados Unidos. And so over the centuries, Christians have divided over the nature of Christ, that Christ is fully God and fully human. There have been debates about that. Those debates matter. Doctrine divides. In fact, I would put it this way, false doctrine divides. La doctrina falsa divide. You know what that's called? It's called heresy. In fact, the word heresy actually means division. La herejía quiere decir división. It means that at some point there's a parting away from who Jesus is, a parting away from what the truth is. And when you part with the truth and when you part with Jesus, you're going to be divided because you see unity can only come through Jesus Christ. La unidad solo viene en Jesús. So you look at the history of the church. You've got, you've got people dividing for lots of different reasons. Some good, some not so good. You've got situations where one side really is right and the other's wrong. You've got situations where everybody has a little bit to, to say they're right about and you've got situations where everybody's wrong. Hay situaciones donde algunos tienen razón, otros no, donde nadie tiene razón. But the point, I guess, is this. Unity is never going to come from human uniformity. That's not what will ever unite us. La unidad no viene de la uniformidad humana. True unity will come when we learn to divide by zero. Tenemos que aprender a dividir por cero. In other words, true unity will come when we learn how to divide by zero, when we determine to, to let nothing separate us from Jesus, from being divided by absolutely zero that would keep us from our devotion to Christ. Tenemos que ser divididos por cero que nos, que nos separe de Cristo because our unity has to start with Christ. Otherwise, we have no reason to be united. La unidad comienza con Cristo. Christ is where the impossible happens. In fact, that's what we see right here. I think if we were to go around this room and ask you your opinion on politics, ask your opinion on current events, on what's in the news, on, on sports teams, how about if we start with Raiders fans out there? Okay, let's hear for the Raiders fans. I can start a church split right now. San Francisco, 49ers, yeah, Raiders. Yeah, so we're not going to agree on that kind of stuff, are we? Uniformity is not what we're after. La uniformidad no es la meta. 
But in Christ, the impossible can happen. I can have more in common with a believer in China who I don't even have the ability to communicate with. I can't speak their language. They can't speak mine. They eat food that's different than mine. They look different from me. They dress different from me. They go to places that are different from me. And yet I can have more unity with them than I can have with a fellow Minnesota Vikings fan who I say, rah, rah, Vikings. I love the Vikings. You love the Vikings. But if Jesus is not uniting us, we don't have unity. Am I, am I making sense? Yo tengo más unidad con un chino que cree en Jesús que con alguien aquí que no cree en Jesús. Author Kevin DeYoung has, has written a little bit about this and, and he says that we must understand when we talk about unity that the goal is not unity. And unity can in itself become a God where it's like we just need to stay united. That's not the goal. La meta no es la unidad. Christ is the goal. Christ is the goal and unity, he says, is a byproduct or it is a fruit of being united in Christ. La unidad es un fruto de ser unidos en Cristo. And so what that means is that we need to keep Jesus as the goal and work for unity, but unity in Christ. Hay que trabajar por la unidad en Cristo. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says this, Ephesians 4.3, it says, make every effort, hear that? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Esfuércense por mantener la unidad del Espíritu mediante el vínculo de la paz. Make every effort to keep unity, not just any unity, but the unity of the Spirit. Why? There's just one body. There's supposed to be one body of Christ, one Spirit. You were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who's over all and through all and in all. E una sola esperanza, un solo Espíritu, un solo cuerpo, un solo Señor, una sola fe, un solo bautismo, un solo Dios y Padre. One Christ divided by Zero. That's the formula. Un solo Cristo dividido por cero. So following Jesus, the Bible is saying we are to be people who seek Jesus first. Seek to be united to Jesus first. And then you will have unity with others who are seeking to be united to Jesus. Busca Jesús primero y vas a estar unido con los que buscan Jesús and that's what Jesus was praying for in John 17 verse 21 Juan 17:21. Jesus prays here and he says I pray that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us ruego para que todos sean uno padre así como tú estás en mí yo en ti permite que ellos también estén en nosotros. Jesus is praying for us to be together. He wants us to be together. Jesús quiere que estemos unidos, together in Him. So, unity in itself is not the goal, but I want to say the opposite too. Separation is never the goal either. La separación no es la meta tampoco. And there are those that would say, well, I've just got to stay pure. I've got to stay so pure. I'm, I'm afraid that the person next to me is not a believer. If you don't believe exactly the way I do, 
You know, there are some doctrines that we can dispute about finer points. We can dispute about when Jesus is coming back and how and where that's going to occur. And we can maybe have a debate about that. But if we are united with Christ, then that should not separate us. Podemos tener debate sobre cuándo viene Jesús, por ejemplo. Eso no debe separarnos. For some their belief of what qualifies someone as a Christian is too narrow. And for others, it is way too wide. Para algunos, lo que es un cristiano muy, muy, muy estricto, para otros es muy ancho. So I do believe we need to be really careful and slow and deliberate before we make that step of saying, you know what, I need to separate myself from that brother or sister or that person who claims to follow Christ. Hay que ser muy deliberado a la hora de separarse de otros cristianos. We need to be careful and slow to separate out from people unless it becomes abundantly clear, abundantly clear after multiple efforts that what they're doing is going away from Christ. That they are denying Christ and going the opposite direction we're going. A menos que sea muy claro que ellos vayan en la, la dirección opuesta fuera de Cristo. We get a picture of this in, in the very second last book of the Bible, Jude 4. Jude 4. It's a very small book, Judas 4. And it talks about the fact, Jude is speaking about the fact that there have been some people who've slipped into the church, who've infiltrated the family of God And this is what he says about them. Dice que se han infiltrado algunos en la iglesia. He says they are godless people who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. Son impíos que cambian en libertinaje la gracia de nuestro Dios y niegan a Jesucristo nuestro único soberano y Señor. What's this saying? He's saying there are some people who come into the church And they are taking the, the mercy and the goodness and forgiveness of Jesus and they're turning it into an excuse to live like the rest of the world and engage in all kinds of immorality. And he says what they're actually doing is they're using Jesus to go away from Jesus, to deny Jesus. Están usando la gracia, el perdón de Jesús para, para alejarse del Señor y vivir de forma inmoral. That's dangerous. And 2 Timothy 3.5 talks about it as well. Segunda Timoteo 3.5. It, it says this, there are some that you're going to find that will have the form or the shape of being godly, of following Christ. A los que aparentan ser piadosos, but by their actions and by their words and by their lives, they actually deny the power of Christ to change their lives and to change others. And they're actually denying Christ. And then it says, don't have anything to do with them. Hay los que aparentan ser piadosos, pero niegan el poder de la piedad de Cristo para cambiar su vida. Y niegan a Cristo y dice, no te metas con esa gente. So, again, I think the point is this. We need to be slow to divide unless it is very clear that someone is seeking to divide us from Christ. We can't go there. Tenemos que ser lento para dividirnos a menos que alguien nos divida de Cristo. 
I share this with you this morning in part because I want you to be aware that in our particular family of churches called the Reformed Church in America, we've been facing something for 40 years, an issue. Hemos enfrentado en la iglesia reformada en América, nuestra familia, un asunto durante 40 años. For 40 years, there has been a growing problem that has cropped up in some parts of our church family. Ha habido un problema. And Christian leaders in our denomination have been trying to deal with this. Basically, to boil it down, the problem is that there are some very vocal parts of a minority, a vocal minority that is taking the grace of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, and turning it into an excuse for sexual immorality of all kinds. Han usado el pretexto del Señor, la gracia para un, para un pretexto de inmoralidad sexual de todo tipo, including, but not limited to, a redefinition of God's gift of marriage. A una redefinición del matrimonio. But it's not just that. Underneath that, I believe there's also divisive doctrine. Hay una doctrina que divide. There's a, a, a pernicious, a persistent doctrine called universalism. Hay el universalismo. What's universalism? Basically, universalism says, well, in the end, you know, God's just going to save and include and accept everybody. He's, those people that hate Christ, who spit in his face and deny him and go away from him, God's going to save them too. Uh, it's all going to happen at the very end. And everybody's, everybody's in, everybody's saved. Todo el mundo es salvo, aun los que rechacen. Even those who hate God, even those who to the very end defy God, God's going to save them. So you know what? It doesn't matter how we live. No importa como vivamos. You can be where you are. You can do what you want to do. You can live the way you want to live because it's all good. Now I'm exaggerating maybe a little, but not much. And so it's come to a point in our church family where we're facing now a decision and it's coming that we may need to separate. We may need to separate. And that's before our church right now in the coming months. En los meses que vienen, es posible que tengamos que separarnos. Now, I wish I could say more about this today. I can't. I'm just bringing this up because I want you to know that our leaders, our Sunrise Servant Team, we will be keeping you informed as a congregation as we go in the months and weeks ahead. Les vamos a estar informando como iglesia. But, but what's the point? The point in all of this is that it is not easy for us to live together in the body of Christ. But true unity, true unity will only come when we are determined to divide by zero. To let nothing, 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 zero keep us from Jesus Christ. And to do that together. Queremos ser divididos por cero, que nada intervenga entre nosotros y Cristo y hacer eso juntos. And so what I'd like to do right now, I think this brings, in my heart, it brings us to a point of prayer. We need to pray. 
And so I want to invite you to come with me to a, a time of prayer that we might confess before God the ways we've been uh, divided and also ask for his help in this and also to give us grace to deal with those who are going away from Christ. Let's pray. Oremos. Lord, this morning we're talking about things that are hard to really grasp. It's like, it's like math. It's like dividing by zero in math. It is really hard to grasp how, how this could be possible. But the bottom line is we need you, Jesus. And Lord, I, I pray that we can learn as we are in this thing called the church, that we can learn how to hang on to you tightly, Jesus, and everything else just a little bit loosely because we need you. Let us never let ourselves define you. You define us, Jesus. Ayúdanos, Señor, a seguirte y, y, y apretarnos, aferrarnos a ti, Señor. We pray for forgiveness for the times that we have perhaps put a dividing wall between ourselves and other brothers and sisters where we don't need to. Perdón por las murallas que edificamos sin tener que hacerlo. We pray, Lord, right now specifically for the decisions that we face and our relationship with the Reformed Church and with believers. Lord, it's been a difficult time. We pray for those that would affirm what we affirm. We pray for those that do not affirm what we affirm. Oramos por los que afirmamos lo que afirmamos en la iglesia reformada y los que no. Give us wisdom, humility, courage, and love. Tengamos sabiduría, humildad, valentía y amor. And Lord, this week, let us let nothing distract us from you. And help us not to see our brothers and sisters as a distraction, but to see that by loving them, we are following you as well. Que no seamos distraídos por nada, Señor. Y que no veamos a nuestros hermanos como distracciones, sino que podamos amarlos. Thank you, Jesus, that you know how to do the impossible. You can bring us together. Thank you for bringing this diverse group of people together in Sunrise. I love my brothers and sisters. I love the diversity and I love the unity. And you love it most. Amo la diversidad y la unidad de esta iglesia, Señor. Pero nos amamos, eh, te amamos a ti más que nada, Señor. So thank you. We give you the praise. You get all the glory. It's all about you, Jesus. That's our prayer. In your holy name we pray. And all God's people together say, Amen. Amen.